Arise, O Lord, save me, my God, deliver. Welcome to the Firmly Planted Tree, a podcast dedicated to the reading of the Psalms for strength in our daily walk and to delight in the law of the Lord. I'm Joey Hawkins, and like the tree planted by the waters, may God's word establish you in righteousness. The Lord alone deliverance sends no other source of help have we. Psalm 13, to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 is a pretty straightforward psalm. It's been following in the past couple of psalms that we've had in 11 and 12 that are dealing with uh, this sort of trust and really the relationship that, that you have of trust with God. But this one's a very simple psalm, six verses, really in three pairs of verses like how Kidner structures it when he uh, describes it this way, the three pairs of verses climb up from the depths to a fine vantage point of confidence and hope. If the prayer or if the path is prayer, the sustaining energy is the faith expressed in verse five. The prospect from the summit of verse five is exhilarating and the retro retrospect in verse six is overwhelming. Spurgeon divides it this way, he says the psalm is very readily to be divided into three parts, the question of anxiety in verses 1 through 2, the cry of prayer in verses 3 and 4, and ultimately the song of faith in verses 5 and 6. But the song uh, begins with those four how longs, so much so that, uh, that even when Spurgeon described it, he says we have been wont to call this the how long psalm. We had almost said the howling psalm from the incessant repetition of the cry, how long? And later on, he says, does not the oft-repeated cry become a very howling? And what if grief should find no other means of utterance? Even then, God is not far from the voice of our roaring. So really, when you look at many of the psalms and and C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about reading and and maybe you could say his chapter on allegorical reading of the psalms and and seeing christ in the psalm he draws out two ways that that you see christ in the psalm and that's through the image of the victorious king and the image of the sufferer the one who suffers and and bears wrongdoing who bears uh the the enemy exulting over them temporarily or speaking evil against them kidner also draws out this idea that that there are two themes that are really present in this psalm that you see and it says these two verses show what were the two poles of David's world God for whom but for but for whom pardon me life would be insupportable and the in the enemy because of whom any wavering must be unthinkable and so God who is the very source and sustainer of life and then ultimately the enemy who we cannot back down from he continues awareness of God and the enemy is virtually the hallmark of every psalm of David, the positive and negative charge which produced the driving force of his best years. In many ways, David 
was best in the struggle, you might say. He was the man who sought after God's own heart when he was struggling. And that's where, again, we understand in this one, there's a how long in a sense of of longing for God's presence, of what he is doing, where is he while these things are happening. Spurgeon says it this way when he speaks about that how long will you forget me? Ah, David, how like a fool thou talkest. Can God forget? Can omniscience fail in memory? Above all, can Jehovah's heart forget his own beloved child? Ah, brethren, let us drive away the thought and hear the voice of our covenant God by the mouth of the prophet. But Zion said, The Lord Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. It's good to remember that God's presence, and and certainly the question that Spurgeon is calling is that, will God, who is everywhere present, forget his own people? Will he not be present with us? Reading through a book uh, recently with uh, with some other men uh, called None Greater, it's a book by Matthew Barrett on the uh, attributes of God, kind of really focusing, I, I like the way he calls it, the three A's of, um, of oh goodness gracious, Augustine, uh, Anselm, and Aquinas, really those three drawing out sort of their studies and reflections on who God is. But in his chapter on the omnipresence of God, he draws this distinction. It is appropriate to distinguish between God's essential presence and his gracious presence. His essential presence maintains our being, beings, observes Charnock, but his gracious presence confers and continues a happiness. His essential presence sustains, preserves, and governs his creation, but his gracious presence regenerates, justifies, and sanctifies his chosen people. Certainly, as those of us who have experienced God's grace and experienced uh, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in all those things, we have experienced God's presence and he does not withdraw from us. And even in the moments where we feel that he is not there, when we say how long, we know God is with us and we can trust that. And so if I had to if I had to say anything about this psalm, and really it's a, a good conclusion to the last couple of psalms, is to trust the struggle. Trust the struggle with understanding what God is doing or where his presence is in your life um, and, and look at it through that sense of the victorious king and the sufferer, the awareness of God in the presence of your enemy, uh, that use those things to understand that this struggle is a motivation for us to continue this life. It's not simply in placing t- trust, is not simply a, a quiet acquiescence where we just silently sit by and we don't question a thing the Lord says. Close out with a quote from John Golden Gay on page 209 of his commentary. There's a sense in which trust implies a quiet, relaxed resting, resting in God. It excludes efforts to fix things ourselves, which the situation in Psalm 11 applies we should attempt. Psalm 13 shows that trust does issue an insistent questioning of God that asks why God is ignoring us in our need and an urgent pressing of God to give us attention and brighten our eyes with the promise of action. As before, this action does not belong just in the great past and the the eschatological future. It belongs now.
And so now God is working through the struggle in our lives as Christians, as those who follow him in the presence of our enemies, as we suffer, ultimately through the victorious kingship of Jesus Christ, whom we are called to reign with, and in a a sense of the presence and the glory of God, that he will ultimately act in a way that glorifies his name. Again, thank you for joining us, and I pray, like the righteous man, that you remain firmly planted. Thank you for listening. Find us online under the Firmly Planted Tree, where we can further continue our discussion. And please consider sharing this podcast and leaving a review. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A joyful noise to make Oh, come with thanks His presence too With joy